The Sunday Sit-Down on Algoa FM. Anand Singh, thank you very much for joining us on Algoa FM today. It's time for The Sunday Sit-Down. Thank Not... you for inviting me. Oh, absolute pleasure. So, as we chat today about your, your book in black and white, please bear in mind that in some instances, I think you're going to have to set the scene for some of our younger listeners to explain, I think, adequately the South Africa that you grew up in and your experience, therefore, as we go. You are best known for a massive, lifelong contribution to the silver screen, an escape um, and an inspiration for so many people. What exactly grabbed you all those years ago about the silver screen? Because, I mean, it, it would have been well in a much less advanced stage than we have now. Well, you know, it, um, it was quite a, uh, when you look back on it now, it was maybe looks a bit crazy and insane, but I was eight years old and I, I, you know, there was no television in South Africa and I was able to watch silent movies on a little eight millimeter projector, two and a half minute film, which was Charlie Chaplin and all these silent comedies. And I was captivated by the moving image and how, how powerful the medium was. I mean, I'm saying these things now, but, you know, at the time, I just didn't, it was magical in my mind. And so it was that that sort of initially captivated me. And thereafter, while I was in school and high school, I used to work for a rand a day in a film store rewinding movies. Crazy. Um, so to rent <laughs> films in those days. Yes. Um, but your entrepreneurial spirit, I see, predates that ever so slightly, where you and your younger brother were already having a little cinema of your own. Well, it wasn't really a cinema. No, I know. <laughs> yeah, you were just showing, when you showed the movies, you know, um, in, in when we were probably 12 or 15, 12 or 13, you know, we'd try to earn a couple of pennies by, you know, charging one or two cents to the people that could afford it and those that couldn't came to see anyway, you know, so... It was, yes, I guess to some degree that entrepreneurial spirit <laughs> failed. But, you know, but at the end, end of the day, it was more that you can have all the kids together and you're all having a fun time, you know, and that was what was the, the joy of it. Yeah. Then the context, which is relevant here, is not many career options for a black person, let alone in the film industry. But before you were 20, you owned the shop. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was quite um, quite bizarre because in those days, going to the beach, going to a restaurant, going to the movies, going to school was all segregated. So I couldn't. The school I went to was for Indians only. So other ki- kids, African schools only, or white schools only, and likewise with every other aspect of our lives, where we lived and where the schools were, were also segregated. So. You know, it was coming up in that community. It was very much a um, a situation where you you go, you do what you can in the communities. And as I mentioned, I was working in a film store, and those owners, when I was just about in matric or just finished matric and had started university, I couldn't go to film school because the only film school in South Africa was in Pretoria, and it was for whites only also. So I was forced to study and in university, and I studied engineering. And in the second year of engineering, the company or the shop that I was working at, renting out these movies, and, you know, they, the owners said, look, this is a, are we wasting our time here? It's too small a business. 
do you want to buy it? And this was in a white area. They were white owners. And I said, look, I'm 18 years old or 19 at the time, um, you know, and I couldn't uh, afford it. I don't have any money. I don't have a bank account even. And they said, no, don't worry. We like you. We think you can pay us over time and uh, take 12 months to pay us. I went to the dean of my faculty and he said, you got five more years to study. In those days, you had a law that was job reservation, which if you had the same qualification as a white person, they got the job before you. And he said, you may earn 2,000 rand a month. I said, you know what, I'll let me take my chances and see what happens. And that's how I began. And I had a friend who we used to swim and surf with in the Durban Beach, and he was a white guy, and he, he put his name onto, um, onto the lease. And that's how it um, yeah. how I was able to trade. Clever. Um, now, interestingly, uh, now last week I chatted to Des Lindberg about um, the book that he and, and Dawn wrote together before her passing that he finished off along the way. And it's funny that your stories have a parallel to an extent where you went to the, the person you were kind of getting your tertiary education from and had a conversation with them and came away from that thinking, oh, well, we're not doing that anymore. Because <laughs> it was exactly the same for him. He, he was studying yeah. law. <laughs> yeah. And, and look, I think for me also, it was very important that I'm following my passion rather than what I am to- told to do or uh, the, the worst sort of, of, of many choices in a bad world. Yeah, I, I see, though, along the way, um, another parallel is arrested um, for breaking the laws you refuse to recognize as legitimate. And I get it. Yeah. And, you know, again, censorship was so bizarre in those days. There were films that could only be seen by white people. I could rent it out uh, in from, from school, uh, at least from the shop. And, you know, and people couldn't, um, I couldn't legally watch it. And I said, to hell with that. And, you know, show, <laughs> never mind watching it. I showed it, lent, rented, rented it to people of, uh, people of color. And then I got arrested and put into jail for, for that too. Yeah. Fast forwarding then to setting up Video Vision Enterprises. Yeah. You know, it's more name rather than anything else. I'm, you know, we were earning, not making a lot of money, but I started trying to learn about films and, you know, largely by watching films, reading books, magazines, uh, film comment, you know, where they criticize and go into the detail of the film. And these were things that I just loved. And so all the experience I have to to make or to watch and watching films is how I learned about to film. Mm. You know, and that was the, the sort of method and video vision. The other part of it was I was writing letters to people all over the world, especially the United States, to buy films. In those days, you know, you could buy movies to distribute in cinemas and again, in segregated cinemas. So it was only primarily in the black audience, in the black cinemas or Indian cinemas. And in, in PE, there were a few houses. But... The, uh, the irony of that also was like Stir Kinikor, which was then Stir and Kinikor, two different companies, separate companies, wouldn't play my movies. And um, I had to just find other means of outlets. And uh, it slowly you know, built on that as we went along. What was the first movie that you produced? I, uh, around the same time, I produced two movies. One was called Deadly Passion, which was a, a body heat type of film, which I, as a video title, uh, which I tried to, you know, because the local market wouldn't play my movies, I figured, okay, let me make something that I can sell internationally. 
and that was one. And then at the same time, Madiba and the ANC made a call to speak out against apartheid, and I decided, well, let me make a film. And Daryl Root was a director, and he had written a script. He came to me with this script called Place of Weeping, and that was an anti- the first anti-apartheid film made in South Africa by South Africans uh, on the run from the authorities. And, uh, you know, Ustina Mshlope, who is a renowned poet and writer, was it was her first acting experience. So we were all like newcomers, you know, playing in this crazy world. Sure. A- along the way, though, your your life has, has t- kind of touched many, many, many others. I'm talking people you will never have met, but then there are the people who inspired you along the way, like um, Ahmed uh, Kathrada, like the Mears, like Madiba himself, like uh, Quincy Jones, Whoopi Goldberg, and... Um, uh, you must sh- surely still be experiencing the loss of uh, Sidney Poitier. Yes, look, I, I was very fortunate to have all the people you mentioned in pass through my life and, 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 and inspire us, each of those people in their own right, giants. And, uh, and certainly Sydney passing this week was a huge sadness because uh, my relationship with him began in the 80s. And um, I uh, had made that movie I just mentioned, uh, Place of Weeping. Yeah. And I called him and said, look, I've made this little movie in South Africa. I knew he had done the first version of Cry the Beloved Country in 1956 here. And I said, I'd love to get your advice on what you know, what you think of the film, what I can do. And he said, yeah, sure. When you're in LA, come and visit, call me. And, and he invited me to his house for lunch. And we sat and was I was in shock. And Quincy Jones, you know, they they were close, and I got to meet Quincy subsequently, and we became friends. So it's uh, you know, it was really very nice. And then of course, people like Kathy and uh, and Madiba, you know, were were amazing in what they have done for us in our liberation. But more importantly, that after 27 years in prison together. They all came out forgiving, and and I was writing to Madiba while he was in prison to make a movie of his life. Yeah, would would you describe that as as one of your greatest labor of loves? Bearing in mind, it took more than twenty years to do uh, Mandela: Long Walk to Freedom. Well, as Madiba said, if it ain't broken, don't you know you can't. Yeah. Not it ain't broken, but what he did say was, if it seems it's only. It only seems impossible until it's done. And and when he granted me the rights, I did say to him, look, Madiba, you know, this is a huge honor, but also a, a, a daunting challenge, which obviously I'm more than happy to take on. I don't know how long it'll take. And he said, don't worry, don't bother me. I'm... Uh, I trust you. And he said, show me for my weaknesses more than my strengths. And as, as a filmmaker, you know, that's very important. Sure. So, um, you know, the challenge with the film and why it took so long was, you know, that book could have been in today's world. You could have done a 10 hour miniseries. Very true. Whereas I was trying to make a feature film and, you know, and that which story do you tell? Because there's so many significant strands in his life. Hmm. Uh, what's keeping you busy these days? Well, writing a book, doing emotions. Uh, <laughs> you know, writing a book is harder than making a movie, I think. But, um, you know, I think there's only one book. I'm not going to be in rushing to write anything else. Right. But this was a, a project that came out of lockdown because I had time to spare and I started looking at images and photographs of family and his, historical stuff and couldn't remember things. So I started asking questions and then finally I said, well, maybe I should put some pen to paper, looking at videos, etc. 
and uh, that's how the book came about. So, you know, it's, uh, it's great. Uh, that's one of the positive things that came out of uh, a COVID situation. Yeah. The book is called In Black and White from uh, Anand Singh and uh, in good bookstores and available online. There's our quick shameless punt. Uh, my, my probably final question to you is, how would you like to be remembered ultimately? You know, I don't know how I would like to be remembered. I think it's for other people to decide how, how, what, and where. Um, you know, I'm just just an ordinary boy. You know, uh, doing whatever I can, and you know, and that's that's that. Mm. Fair enough. <laughs> Good, safe answer. <laughs> just, you know, all I can say is if, to the young people out there: follow your passion, whatever it is. Don't let the uh, older people influence you and say you got to do this, that, or the other, because ultimately you will end up doing what you want to do anyway. <laughs> I like that. Anand Singh, thank you again so much for, for taking some time out to, to chat to us. Um, all the best for the book and for future endeavors. And if you're ever in the area, you would be a most welcome guest um, at our, our building. Okay, I'll remember that. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Keep well. And thanks to your listeners. On air. On air. Online. Online. And all over your world. This is Algoa FM.